Hey everyone, you can grab a seat. My name is Jen Mangloss and I'm the associate pastor here. And it's this is my first time preaching since I think September. So uh, it feels a little like when you, you know, you're re-engaging with an activity like, I don't know, being around other people and you feel kind of awkward. <laughs> I watched this really funny sketch on SNL recently where it was post-COVID conversations and it's like no one knows how to talk. This is a bit how I feel coming in, but then it's like, okay, I know how to do this. So uh, I love that we can all kind of know that feeling of re-entry. But uh, speaking of the pandemic, there are certain activities and hobbies that have populated our lives these last 12, 13, 14 months. I've lost count. Maybe you've been binge watching a TV show, baking some bread. I definitely did that. Uh, home improvement projects. I know so many people who are sprucing up their houses. But the one that was the surprising reality for me during COVID was houseplants. Any houseplant people out there? Oh, okay, here are my people. Uh, and I didn't plan this. It kind of just snuck up on me. Some of it was waiting in the line at the uh, Ballard Trader Joe's. And they have all their plants there. And so I'd be sitting there and like, oh, that's cute. And it's only $5. And, and then I'd get some clippings from a friend's plant or the Fred Meyer Garden Center. But all of a sudden, I've amassed enough plants to where if I go out of town, I need a plant sitter because I don't want them to die. And that's what happened um, a couple weeks ago. I drove down to California to meet my new nephew. And I was gone for about a week and a half, had a friend come in to, to take care of my plants. And I had one in particular that I was kind of worried about. It's this really beautiful palm, and it's got like pink, like kind of like little pink lines in the leaves. It matches my couch really well. Um, but I'll tell you more about that later. But in this process, I've been learning how to care for these plants and how to take care for them, to care of them. And, Hopefully not to kill them, but some have died along the way. Uh, I'm learning, uh, realizing that being a plant mom is learning how to be patient and to persevere. So today we're finishing up our, our series on the book of James. And this book is full of direct language and practical ways to live out our faith. You know, James is not going to dance around something. He's just like, this is how it is, now do it. Um, but as this book closes, we see James land on a call for patience perseverance, and prayer. Lots of P words today. So speaking of prayer, let's open with some right now. Jesus, thank you just for bringing us here today. And for this amazing weather, Lord, the longer I live in Seattle, the more I realize what a gift sunshine is. So Lord, would you help us to have eyes to see the good and beautiful things you are doing in our midst. Amen. So we're going to start off in James 5, verses 7 to 11. Let me just read this out for you, and we're, we should have it up on the screen. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming near. Uh, coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So in verse 7, James starts by calling the readers to be patient until the coming of the Lord or until Jesus' return. But this word patience that we... Uh, 
we really need to kind of stop and pause on this and explore because James uses this word four times in this section we just read through. Uh, and if there's anything I learned from seminary, it's if a word's repeated a lot, you should stop and pay attention. So we're going to do that for a second. The word used here is macrothumia. It's a fun one, macrothumia. I've been practicing that about all week, uh, and I'm finally getting it right. So, uh, But it speaks to the idea of waiting with calmness and expectancy. So let's talk about patience. And I imagine, even as I say that word, some strong reactions are coming up in you. Like, maybe your shoulders just started creeping up, or there's a not in the pit of your stomach, uh, maybe the words exasperation, frustration, apathy, maybe even a little sense of shame comes up when you hear patience. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of us aren't thinking, for me, patience means calmness and expectancy. That's what, that's what it looks like in my life. I think we all probably struggle to be patient, and we live in this world where so many things are immediate and instantaneous. Uh, and James, I love this, he knows that we struggle with this word, we struggle with the idea of patience, so he gives us three ways of understanding it in this passage um, and helps us to see its value. And we start by looking at the life of a farmer. So uh, any, anyone, any farmers here? Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> Living in Seattle, we're not in farm country. And uh, I also am not a farmer, I didn't grow up around farms, I've never taken an agricultural course. I think it's all really worthwhile. Um, but I do know one thing about farming, maybe a few, but I know one main thing is that it takes time. It cannot be rushed. But it's not just time. You know, successful growing requires good soil, seed, a supportive climate, a lot of things we can't control. And it also requires the work of a farmer to clear the land of weeds and roots, to prepare the soil, to plant the seed, to water the plant, and continue to tend to it as it grows. So it takes work. And just recently, I watched this great film by Lee Isaac Chung called Minari. And in it, Jacob, whose family has emigrated from Korea to the US in the 80s, is convinced he wants to be a farmer. So he buys this piece of land. and. He quickly sees that it's hard, hard work. And one day he's working so hard that, and doing something with, I don't even know the machinery, but something that involves a lot of upper arm strength. And by the end of the day, he's trashed, he's in the bathtub, and his arms are in so much pain, he can't even raise them up to wash his own hair. Uh, and his wife has to help him out. And I just thought, wow, that is the image that really conveys the type of level hard work that's involved in farming. So it is hard work. But all this work does not erase the reality of the needs of time. Even with the perfect environment, our own hard work and skill and abilities, we can't skip the waiting. <sighs> Ooh, that was loud. Waiting. And this is another word that probably brings up some strong reactions in us, right? And we've all, we're all emerging from this big season of waiting, right? Uh, you know, it feels like maybe this week with the CDC announcement, some things are changing and shifting, but we've been in months and months of waiting. Waiting for growth in our lives, waiting for the next paycheck, the next stimulus check, for a normal life, for a vaccine, for a spouse, for kids, for grandkids, for a house, the dream house, the dream vacation. Waiting for the coming of the Lord. It feels like everywhere we turn there is waiting. It drives me crazy. Maybe it drives you crazy too, but it really drives me crazy. But I think this is why the image of, of the farmer is so powerful, because it shows us someone whose job requires patience, whose job requires waiting, 
whose job doesn't allow for shortcuts usually. But the waiting is not fruitless. Pun intended. I had to throw in a good gardening pun. Okay. So the result of this waiting, though, is a crop. And that means food for the family, or if the crop is sold, that's money for them. So this is provision. So there's a, there's a purpose to this waiting. And I think this is the perfect image of the benefits of patience. There is fruit that comes from our waiting. But we'll come back to that in a little bit. But next, James offers us a practical example in verses 8 and 9, our own lives. And he urges us to stop grumbling against others. So starting in verse 8, we see uh, him saying, You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So James here is calling us to patience in light of Christ's return. And with this, uh, Christ's return comes a fulfillment, which has already started of the reconciliatory work Christ is bringing into our world. And I love, uh, if you ever read Revelations, I know it's a wild book, but uh, it's a really hopeful book too. And I was reading Revelations 21.5, and I think it gives us such a hopeful glimpse of this end journey of the work. Christ is on the throne declaring, I am making everything new. So this waiting we find ourselves in just now, this waiting we find ourselves for the return of Christ, it's not aimless. It's waiting with a purpose. It's expectant waiting for Christ to make all things new. Not some things, not the things you like, but not the things you don't like, all things. Uh, but this call to patience is actually, it's really interesting. If you read the whole chapter, which we just didn't have space for today, but I'd recommend that you read those first six uh, verses of chapter five because James actually takes those verses to call out rich landowners who are taking advantage of their workers, some of whom were Christians. And James 5.4 tells us that these landowners withheld pay from their workers out of their own greed and selfishness. So these Christians uh, are grumbling. Uh, and I love the word used here. It means the semi, semi-articulated mutterings of dis- disaffected persons. Semi-articulated mutterings of disaffected persons. I, re- I just dig this phrase so much, and I want to encourage you all, find an excuse to use that today. Uh, but, uh, but this is this type of grumbling he's talking about, kind of people talking out of the side of their mouth. Uh, and James's counsel to them uh, is patience in light of Christ's return, who will be the ultimate judge who is making all things new. And it's important to note that this verse isn't speaking to whether or not we should engage in works of justice or reconciliation, but more so James is speaking to those who are in situations where they're being taken advantage of. And he's calling them to keep keep a, a good hold of the truth that Christ is returning. There are parts of James, this is really interesting, that actually call back to the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And this is a kind of another one of those moments indirectly. Uh, you know, Jesus challenged a lot of previous beliefs. Uh, and in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, he says, You've heard it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So basically, don't grumble against these people who are taking advantage of you. You're not their judge. And not just that, but love these people. Pray for them. You know, we can participate in God's work in making all things new, but that reconciliatory work will never mean grumbling against another person who bears the image of God. And that, as I read that this week, was like, ooh, this is heavy on my heart because it's so easy to see injustice and you want to speak out about it. 
and, and, and with that often comes this sense of like, I can hold some hatred in my heart towards people who I'm like, you're oppressing, that's wrong. But that's not what the call is here. God is saying, hey, like I'm dealing with this, but don't grumble against them. They also bear, bear his image and we, we need to hold on to that. As good as that this reconciliatory work is, how we do it matters. But finally, uh, uh, James has one more thing to say about patience. So he's looked at this image of a farm. He's looked at circumstances in our own life which might require patience. And then finally, he uses the life of the prophets and Job to make this point. Being a good Jewish teacher, you know, he's got to refer back to the prophets. So if we go into our next section of James, uh, he says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, suffering we've just seen some examples of, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James starts by making this general statement about the example of the prophets. And the Jewish people hearing this like, would be really familiar with the prophets. Like, they would have spent a lot of their upbringing listening to and learning from the wisdom of the prophets. But it's here that James gives us another P word that we're not going to like, probably, uh, perseverance, uh, or in some translations, endurance. And the Greek word used here, hupamino, uh, this one's interesting because it's actually really similar to the word for patience. And in some contexts, it's used synonymously with macrothumio. But uh, what makes it a little different and why it's used in this uh, passage is it also speaks to fortitude. So it's not just... uh, patient endurance, but it's a fortitude, it's a continuing on. And this fortitude is a fruit of enduring patience. So if we're looking for an example of patience growing into perseverance over time, Job is a great option. And this is the other person uh, who James mentions. Job, if you're not familiar with the story, he loses everything practically overnight. Like just, his life is wiped clean. And his initial response is to say, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I, I admire that response. I don't know if that is always my response going into suffering, but there's something about that that continues to stick with me as I follow Christ. And I love that Job, he's not putting on a happy face in the midst of his sufferings, He shows up with God vulnerably and honestly. You know, we have this tendency to assume that uh, ignoring our feelings is how we prove our faithfulness to God, but, uh, or that, you know, being patient means happy dancing through our tragedies. Uh, But actually, that's not what the Bible depicts. Uh, In the Bible, we see multiple examples of men and women who in their sufferings bring their laments and complaints and deep grief to God. Their honest lament is an act of faithful endurance on their part. But so, some of you might be wondering, how is this faithfulness, right? How is a complaint like that faithfulness? Um, I think it's helpful to despair, uh, to contrast despair from lament. To despair is to grieve without hope. The act of lament involves bringing our complaint to God in light of his character, of light of who he is. It holds the tragedy of the moment and the truth of who God is together. And that's a hard place of tension to sit with, right? But uh, 
I think it's so true of what we see time and time again in the Bible. Uh, and, and who did God reveal himself to be ultimately in the uh, story of Job? Well, in James 5.11, we see the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We see that in the story of Job. We see that all throughout the scriptures. Uh, in the story of Job and in the lives of the prophets, we see people who endured in terrible circumstances because more and more these men and women believe that the Lord really is full of compassion and mercy and that he's returning and God met them and sustained them in their waiting. I think uh, if we're looking for examples of what this looks like in life, I mean, we get it in the Bible, but also like in the lives of Christians throughout the years, who immediately comes to mind are, is the African-American community who were enslaved, who wrote these spirituals. These songs that depicted their suffering, that expressed their grief and their lament. But you'll see with so many of them, it returns to this place of and Christ and this hope in Christ that cannot be shaken. Um, I was listening, uh, reading the lyrics of one song, Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel? And the, the singer repeats that, Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel? And why not every man? And that speaks to such hope without getting rid of the deep sadness there. You know, in suffering, we're invited to endure with God, to cling to the truth that he is full of compassion and mercy. But it's not just sustenance. Through these circumstances, our heart is developing. Uh, And Paul speaks to this beautifully in Romans 5, 3 to 5, saying, not only so, But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That P word again, dang. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our character is formed in our waiting and persevering and our sufferings. And in it, our capacity to hope and trust grows. And I'm sure if each one of you were to look through your life, you'd see this. You'd see the reality of this. You never see it when you're in it, but you always see it after the fact. But each time we struggle, God is using these experiences to develop us. And this process grows in us a fortitude to continue on in him. And this isn't making any sort of judgment statement on whether the sufferings were caused by God or a good thing, but just the fact that God works in those moments. And he wants to meet us in our suffering and our waiting. His love has been poured into our hearts. uh, This passage in Romans tells us we are met by his presence via the Holy Spirit. And this presence via the Holy Spirit is accessible to us at all times. You know, next weekend we're celebrating Pentecost. If you're not familiar with that, that's the day when the church celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. The early church, if you read in Acts, they were meeting together and the Lord had promised the comforter, the helper will come. And they had these powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit um, on that day in Pentecost. But the reality is that same spirit is with us today um, and in meeting us in each moment, in each situation that we engage. But we don't just bring our sufferings to God. We actually bring our sufferings also to our, our community. So we're going to jump into James 5, starting with verse 13. And we're going to shift just briefly. Uh, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. 
the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This could be its own sermon. This actually could be probably multiple sermons. And so I'm just going to give you a little heads up. We're not going to get to dive in as much as we'd like to here. But here's a couple things to just pick up from this. The church has a role, too, in our development of perseverance and patience. So this isn't just a solo thing between you and God. The church, and here's the deal. When I'm saying the church, I mean all of you. Every single person here, every single person online, we are the church. I know it's easy to just think of the building of the institution, but the church is made up of people. And so this is what we're called to. We're called to welcome each other in, to pray for each other, to support, encourage, and engage in this work together. This isn't just a solo thing. And I love, James 5.13 gives us this beautiful picture of a gathering of Christ followers, some of who are suffering, some of who are joyful, some who are praying for healing, confessing sins to each other. And what I see in this is that we show up as we are. Warts and all, right? And we look to God together. You know, sometimes church becomes this place where we just have, we put on our Sunday best and we try to hide everything. But that's not the picture of the church we see in James. We see this group of messy people. And uh, I'm just going to say it for myself, I'm a bit of a mess a lot of times, slash all the time. Um, and, but that's what you're supposed to bring, your whole self to church, your messy self to church. Um, and sometimes it drives us crazy, but we learn to love each other in deeper ways when we show up as we actually are. But we see as well that prayer is a major part of how the church supports and cares and actively hopes for each other. You know, it's interesting to me that James is, uh, kind of has this direct call to prayer in verse 13 because as I read verses 7 to 11, I actually think that is all about prayer as well because prayer is the soil through which patience and endurance grows. I'll say that again. Prayer is the soil through which patience and endurance grows. This work that we're to engage in, just like the farmer, starts in prayer, is developed in prayer, and is empowered through prayer. Uh, when James references Job as an example of patience and suffering, he's pointing to a man whose endurance comes from a deep life of knowing God through prayer. And all throughout the book, we see Job's honesty and vulnerability with God. Um, when I was in seminary, one of my professors, John Coe, used to always say, if you want a boring prayer life, uh, spend it trying to be good in prayer rather than trying to be honest. And that continues to ring true with me throughout the years. Like, yeah, my prayer life gets really boring when I just tell God the things I think he wants to hear. But things get interesting when I go, oh, actually, what's really going on is I don't like this person. Or what's really going on is I don't want to have to help someone out. I just want to do my own thing. That's when stuff gets real. But, uh, you know, this type of honest response that we see in Job isn't just something that he does. I love, you turn one book over to the book of Psalms. It's a book full of prayers and praises. Uh, and you'll see a collection of prayers of joys, sorrows, celebrations, complaints. It's all there. And these were used to guide Israel into a life of prayer. And so if this is how God called the nation of Israel to worship and to engage and pray with him, then we also are called into that. You know, sometimes we can narrow our view of prayer as solely asking God for things. And that is part of prayer. But it's not the whole. 
My favorite definition says that prayer is uh, being with God who is always with you. So prayer isn't just communication, it's part of it, but more than anything, prayer is about presence. The presence of God Almighty who is full of compassion and mercy, always with you. And I don't think there's a coincidence that relational language is used throughout the Bible to describe how God engages with us. You know, we can liken our prayer life to the development of any relationship. And this development can only occur by spending time with the other person, right? Uh, I haven't been married, but from what I understand, marriages do better when you actually spend time with each other. Uh, Marriages where people don't spend time with each other tends not to work well. I've learned this from my friendships too. If I stop calling my friend, the relationship dies. But if I sew into that, if I show up, if I reach out to them, there's an intimacy that grows over time. And the same it is with God. Um, When I was younger, I wanted to just skip everything. I was like, I just want to be on the fast track to like live in that mature Christian life and I don't really want to spend a lot of time with God in the morning. And over time, that's shifted in me to where that's become vital. Like I can't survive without that time with Jesus. But it took time for me to grow into it. But that's what I love about prayer. You know, uh, in prayer, we're invited to bring our whole selves so that God can form us. It's where we wrestle out our beliefs about God, ourselves, and the world. It's a place for safety. It's a place of revealing what we actually hope for, not just what we think we should hope for. And it gives us a glimpse of our need of God in really deep, profound ways. But more than anything, prayer is a place for being known. And just like the crops that the farmer tends to takes time to develop and grow, so does our heart as we engage with him in prayer. He's not taking shortcuts, but he actually wants your character to be be fully formed and developed in his life of love. He wants to root out what brings death and destruction. Prayer is the place that we can be known by God, not as we'd like to be, but as we really are. Just as God sought out Adam and Eve as they hid in the Garden of Eden, uh, he met them exactly as they are. And that's what he desires to do with all of us, is to meet us exactly where we are. So uh, I have this palm that I mentioned early on. And it's so cute, you guys. It's like green, it's got like pops of pink in the leaves, and it matches my couch perfectly. Uh, and I, it's just not, hasn't been doing well most of the time I've owned this plant. And some of this is like, it's a palm. Is a palm really gonna grow well in a climate like this? It should be in a desert. It needs more sun. It needs probably a more talented gardener. But um, I also was thinking, I think it needs a bit more space. So I got a new uh, pot for it, a little bigger one, and replanted it. And, um, and then soon after was going away to this trip to California. And I was kind of concerned. Like, I don't know if this is going to make it. I think I'm going to come home and my plant is going to be dead. And it was nothing about the person who was watching my plant. She did a great job. But I kind of was just like, ah, I don't know if I've set this up enough for success. But I walked in the door a couple weeks ago go through my hallway, and walk into my living room, toss my bags down, and all of a sudden, I see my plant. And you guys, it was so tall. It had grown like six to eight inches in a week and a half. It was nuts. Um, I was like, I wish I had a like, before and after picture to contrast what happened. Like, it just blew me away. Like, I'm still excited. I still look at it like, look at you, plant. You're doing great. Um, <laughs> but growth takes time for us to see, right? Like a farmer tending to their plants, it's like this little imperceptible growth along the way, and then all of a sudden your field is is full of produce. 
Uh, so we've been in a uh, season of suffering and waiting, and it hasn't always been pretty, has it? Uh, but if I know anything of our God, I know that these are the conditions for really good growth. We couldn't force our way out of COVID. We couldn't rush and overnight just become uh, just a more just uh, country. We couldn't demolish racism overnight. We couldn't solve the problems in our city and our lives overnight. But I do believe in our waiting, God is doing a good work in our hearts. And even if we can't see the fullness of it now, we can hope that he is doing something and that he's not finished. He continues his work throughout time to make all things new. That includes you. So may we have eyes to see what God is doing in us and in our community, and may we learn to patiently persevere and hope as we continue to deepen in our life of prayer with him. And so as we close today, I actually want to give us some space to pray. You know, we talk about prayer a lot, but don't often give ourselves space to do this. So a couple of questions are going to pop up on the screen. And this is what I'm asking you to do is just spend some time um, sitting with these questions. And sometimes I find it's helpful to bring a question into prayer. Sometimes unstructured prayer feels a little intimidating. So if that's you, just know I got your back. But these are a few questions that can just, you can just spend a moment just to get quiet with God and to ask and consider with him. God, what are you forming in me through these circumstances of my life right now? What would it look like for me to be honest with you, God? And maybe practice a bit of that. And then where do you need his help in all this? Where do you need his help in becoming patient, in enduring, in hoping in him in the midst of hard times? And so um, as you're sitting in prayer, Dylan's going to be playing some music. We also have communion set up over there. And sometimes I think that's a lovely way just to kind of take the next step. It's just to embody what we're learning and what, and just this truth that God is with us. So let me pray, and then we'll spend some time praying. Jesus, you are the patient one. And Lord, we have so much to learn. Uh, and yet, God, you, ha you haven't lost your patience with us. Thank you for that, Jesus. But you patiently continue to show up with us and move us step by imperceptible step until... All of a sudden, these beautiful palms grow out of us. We were able to see growth all of a sudden that's built up over time. So Jesus, make us like you. Give us patient, enduring hearts. Amen.